And Father, that is, that is a life-altering, eternally significant, never-ending truth that we just proclaim there. And Lord, we just take this moment when all is stripped away, all the other instruments, everything else just stripped away, and we just simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth, knowing that it is only in you that we overcome. It is only in you that we will have the strength for this day and the days to come. It is only in you, Father, that we will find satisfaction, fulfillment, and peace and joy eternally. And we will overcome whatever difficulties, trials, temptations, hurt, or suffering we face. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. As we lean in and press in to know the Lord, you promise, oh God, you promise to do a transforming work here in this life that gives us a glimpse of the ultimate transformation that is to come when we will declare that truth at the foot of your throne for eternity. That's awesome. And so, Father, give us ears to hear. Give us teachable hearts, Lord. Crush the pride in us that wants to reject your word. And Lord, may we come before you humbly now with ears that want to hear, hearts that want to respond, and eyes that want to see you in your glory, God. And would you show us your glory here today? Would you change lives for eternity today? Build your church today, because you promised to do that as your word is held up and your son is exalted. And so, Father, may it be so. Be with my mouth. Let not one word that is uttered not be from you, Father. And as your word goes forth, thank you that we can be sure it will not come back void and will achieve the purpose for which it is set. We pray this in the awesome, magnificent, and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, church, it is great to be here with you this morning, and I pray that you have been and will continually be blessed as much by uh, this worship this morning of Jesus Christ as I personally have been in this first part of our service. Love the fact that God's not done. Amen. You believe that? God's not done? Yeah, so do I. Praise the Lord. Well, this is a uh, final message in the series that we have been walking through for the last four weeks on... on um, Towards the goal, God's glory in the life of the believer. And we've been literally going through word by word, verse by verse, through Philippians chapter 3. And this is the final message in this series. And as such, it's the final few verses of that text. And so just a little recap to help put you in perspective of where we've been so far. You'll see it on the screen right here. There's a recap. We started out in Philippians 3, 1 to 11 of... Gaining Christ through faith. What does that mean to embrace Jesus Christ as our greatest gain in our lives, to put on the knowledge of Christ, not just a head knowledge, but to share the life, the gnosis, as that Greek word means for to know, the gnosis or the shared image of Christ in our lives through faith. And this is where everything starts. We can't be continuing to gain Jesus Christ through faith in our lives if we've never surrendered our lives to him. We will never count anything else as rubbish other than the sake of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. So we start out with gaining Christ through faith, but watch this progression. Gaining Christ through faith leads to pursuing Christ in faith. 
So once we gain Christ in faith, we pursue him in faith, pressing on, verses 12 to 14, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal, Christ-likeness in this life, the prize, transformation and glory with him in his image for eternity. That's good news. Amen? That's good news. So gaining Christ through faith, salvation through faith alone in Christ, leads to pursuing Christ in faith, which then leads to this, you will see on here, maturing in Christ by faith. This is what we looked at last week, maturing in Christ by faith. What does it mean to be growing in maturity in this pursuit of God? And we looked at having a mindset of maturity, a desire for it. We looked at having models of maturity, discipleship, mentorship of those who fear the Lord and we are called to imitate in the church. So gaining Christ through faith leads to pursuing Christ in faith, maturing in Christ by faith, and this brings us to today. Transform towards Christ-likeness by faith. As we mature in Christ, we are transformed into Christ likeness by faith. And you see, I'm fired up about this message. You know, I don't usually get fired up about this intro, but I'm pretty fired up about this message. Why? Why is that? Because everything that we have been talking about to this point leads to this place. This is the pinnacle of our pursuit of Christ we're talking about here today. And I pray that you get fired up too when we hear of the transformation that God promises in this life as we continue to pursue him, but also the transformation that's coming. That's coming. I'm pretty fired up about this. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 20 and going on to chapter 4, verse 1. If you do not have a Bible, I'm going to say, um, have a Bible in front of you. Trust me. You're going to want to have a Bible in front of you today. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 20. If you do not have a Bible, put your hand right up because our ushers have copies of God's words that we want to put right in front of you. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 20. And if you do not have a Bible at home, we are so thankful that you're here today because we want to give that to you as a gift so you can continue to study God's word. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 20. But here's here's the opening question or problem that we have here, and it is this. We do have a major problem in our lives. As we talk about this transformation, this journey that God has us on, The major problem in our lives is there's nothing in this world that can satisfy us. How's that? That's a big problem for us as humans. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy us. And I think, what are you talking about? You can never eat enough food. I had my my son come up the stairs this morning. He said, first thing he says to me, Dad, I'm hungry. He says, I didn't get enough food at dinner last night. You know, I'm hungry. You can never have enough. You get full for a little bit, and then what happens? All right, we're ready for the next meal. Job, can you ever work hard enough? Can you ever have enough money that you're going to say, now I'm satisfied. I've reached this amount. I've reached this part on the corporate ladder. The ladder of success. Marriage. Can you ever be completely satisfied in your marriage? Will your flesh let you be? 
Or will there always be the battle for selfishness? My way, me before you, constant battle. Kids, can you ever be fully satisfied in the behavior of your kids? Uh, yeah, don't worry, we're in church. It's okay. All right? How about entertainment? Can you ever get enough entertainment? You know what I, you know what I, I noticed the other day as I, I was in a restaurant and I, there was this movie theater that was right next door and it said, come escape with us. What do you need to escape from? If this world offers satisfaction... What on earth do you need to escape for? Right? C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Did you just let that sink in for a moment? If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, loved ones, living in light of this truth is essential. And this truth is essential for every follower of Jesus Christ if they are to live out the truth of transformation that is available in this life now and will be completed in the life to come. And what if I told you, hey, church, church, what if I told you that if followers of Jesus Christ took this call to transformation seriously, the call that we will look at today, and lived out the truth of the message in the power of the Spirit, lives, families, churches, communities, and entire cultures would be transformed for the glory of God. What if I told you, if we took that seriously, would you believe that? I would. Don't take my word for it. Take his. We'll get into that in a moment. Here in Paul's final instruction to the Philippian church in chapter 3, he gives us two essential truths that we must embrace if we are to live out the reality of the transformed life that we are called to both now in this life and the hope that it gives us for the greater transformation that is to come. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3 starting at verse 20. But our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his. You get that? Just underline that. Like his. Transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4.1. Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. See, Paul tells us here this truth. He says transformation is coming. We must recognize the truth that this world is not your home. Recognize the truth, loved ones, followers of Christ, this world is not your home. Look at verse 20. He says this. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. See, Paul is speaking here about all followers of Christ who have repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior. Okay, love this, word study. That Greek word citizenship there, you know what that means? A corporate body of citizens of one country who are living in a foreign country or world. Okay, a corporate body of citizens of one country 
who are living in a foreign country or world. And what Paul does here is he sets up the contrast between the eternal kingdom or city of God, which all followers of Jesus Christ will live in for eternity, and the temporal fleeting kingdom or city of man which we live in now. He set the contrast up. Our citizenship is in heaven. That means if it's in heaven, it's not here. See the contrast? All right. One commentator puts it this way. He says, believers, love how he says this, believers are an outpost on earth of God's kingdom in heaven, being in the world but not of it. Okay? Do you ever think the church is an outpost? When you get together in small groups, you're an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in a country that's not your own. I love that picture. But what does this mean? So what does this mean if our citizenship is in heaven, but here we are in this world, but not of it? It means that the lives and values that believers live by should all point to heaven. How you treat your spouse, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, the words that you speak out of your mouth, the entertainment choices that you have, all of this is supposed to point to heaven because the allegiance of the believer is to the Lord alone and must outweigh all other commitments even though they live in the kingdom of man. That's what it means to live out a citizenship in heaven. You are not of this world. And you say, well, we have some pretty, pretty interesting ideas of what heaven's like. You know, are we sitting on clouds with little harps? And will we get a set of wings? And, you know, all these things. Well, praise the Lord that God tells us, gives us a glimpse of what heaven's like. Heaven, the kingdom of God, the place where Jesus Christ dwells with God the Father, with the Holy Spirit, and with all the believers that have gone before us, and the angels, etc., etc., like, magnificent. It is the place of complete, get this, loved ones, just get this, the place of complete perfection. Can we even get our heads around that? The place of complete perfection that is filled with God's glory. No pain, no sickness, no death, no fear, no anxiety, no tears, no sorrow, no sin. It is the place where the full inheritance of every believer awaits as they will worship Jesus Christ at his throne for all eternity. You say, how can we even, how can I even do that justice? I was studying for this this week. How can you even do this? Well, let's just go to his word. Revelation chapter 4. Starting in verse 2, you'll see it. And I just read this over. I just want you to picture this. You want to close your eyes and picture this? Go right ahead. It says this. At once I, this is the Apostle John writing, gets a vision. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, listen to this. A throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian and around the throne 
was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were the 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy, worthy are you. Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and existed. And this is what, loved ones, this is but a glimpse. This is what every follower of Christ will join in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. One day, that's our citizenship. That's what we have to look forward to. In his great book called The City of God, St. Augustine says, the earthly kingdom glorifies in itself but the heavenly kingdom glorifies in the Lord. The earthly kingdom glorifies in itself, but the heavenly kingdom glories in the Lord. And look at this. From heaven, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes it very clear here that believers are not to put their hope in any earthly authority or any other so-called God in this world to be their savior. The only savior of the world, Jesus Christ, will be coming back for his people. We await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that term waiting, the Greek term there for wait, is not just some passive waiting. Hey, maybe when I get around to it. It's waiting 
eagerly with heightened expectation for the return of Christ that our lives should be reflecting as they are lived out with urgency and anticipation of that day when he comes back. This is the outflow. The believer's life to live with passion and urgency for the pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ in this life that leads to our transformation should be a natural outflow of the homesickness of heaven that we have. Our lives should be marked with a homesickness for heaven. Even creation groans for what's in store, waiting to be transformed, waiting to be redeemed. And this, as I said, loved ones, it's not just a passive way. Yeah, I expect, you know what? I hear that truth. I've been in Jesus Christ and I just expect Christ to come back. So I'll serve him when I feel like I'm up to it and pursue him when I want to and when it doesn't cost me much of the things I want and want to do, then I'll serve him. Mm Mm-mm. We're not talking about a passive waiting. Here's what living in the reality and urgency of this world not being our home calls us to right here. Yes, I expect Christ to be coming soon. Any moment. Any moment he's coming soon. And I want every part of my life to reflect that urgency and expectation in how I live. There is no indifference and there is no passivity or apathy in my pursuit of Christ in this life because he's coming soon. Am I eagerly awaiting my Savior? Does my life reflect it? Or is it all about me pursuing Christ on my own terms? And I was praying through illustrating, like how do we get our minds around what living with? Because you're like, okay, I'd love to live with expected. What does that even look like? Well, as I wanted to illustrate this truth, senators, senators, yay, two to one last night, yay, senators, yay, good, good. Here's the deal, though. Here's the deal. I want you to look at these pictures. This is the Canadian Tire Center on the top, and then there's four senators in the parking lot of it. Just take a look at that. When we talk about living a life of expectancy and urgency... So here are these fans, look at them, waving the towels, dressed out in their gear, red carpet rolled out. I bought a night costume. I painted my face. I'm wearing a t-shirt and it's probably cold. But here's the thing, here's the thing. These fans are all, maybe some of us even, we're all out in our passion and our zeal and expectancy for the team. Yes! I'm expecting for the, look at it. You don't think these fans are expecting for the game to start? Look at them. Expecting for the game to start. The team, picture it. The team's coming out of the tunnel. The ice being opened up. The puck drops. The first goal is scored. And see, but here's the thing. They're expecting to see, is my team going to win or not? I'll dress the part. I'll paint the face. I'll buy the ticket. I'll do this. Is my team even going to win? They're making sacrifices of their time, their energy, their finances, their families. They're making sacrifices to go to these things. Investing huge chunks of their lives. And then it hit me. And then it hit me. You know what hit me? I hope you're getting a picture. They do all this. These guys right here, kudos to them. But they do all of this. And they have no idea whether the Sens are even going to win or not. You have no idea. 
They don't know if they're going to have the victory. And here they are investing huge chunks of their lives. And yet as believers, struck me with this, yet as believers, we have a guaranteed victory. Amen? We have a guaranteed victory because we have a Savior. Don't lose this. We have a Savior who defeated death and sin for all time on the cross, who has granted us all we need for life and godliness, who has given us the power to proclaim the greatest message of all time, and who promises that he is coming back soon to take us home to be with him forever in eternity. We have a guaranteed victory. How is it even possible, church, that this world has any greater reason to celebrate, have more passion, or live with more expectancy than us? Amen? How is it? And yet, most Christians live like this world is their permanent residence. They want to take up permanent residency. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in this? Look at these guys. They're putting everything on this. I'm banking on the center's winner. What happens when they don't? Where's the hope in that? I mean, have you seen, when we, put, we try to live like our permanent residencies in this world, have you seen the way the world's going? Where's the hope in that? Most Christians live like this world's their permanent residence, and the apathy, indifference, and the when I get around to it in their pursuit of Christ reflects that. C.S. Lewis said this, a very stunning quote this week, puts it in perspective so well. He says this, you'll see it on the screen. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world, listen, hear me, the Christians that did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The Christians who did most in this present world are the ones who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. It's because Christians have ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. So how about you? How about me? Do our lives, loved ones, reflect an eager and urgent expectation of Christ's return? Are you living in light of eternity that Christ could literally come back at any moment? He's coming soon. Do we live with a permanent resident mindset or one who's just passing through? And so... You say, well, what does this look like? Well, let me ask you a question. How is this truth right here, that our citizenship is in heaven, how is this truth impacting how you love and sacrifice for your spouse in laying down your life as Christ has done for you? Knowing that we are called to live with urgency and take every opportunity to do so. How about this? How you parent your children and what you do in the time you spend with them. 
permanent resident says, hey kids, just be quiet and sit on the couch. Just passing through citizenship in heaven says, this is an opportunity I have to represent Jesus Christ to the children he's entrusted to me. How about your work at the office or students in the classroom? How does the urgency of the hour in which we live as we await the Savior impact why you do assignments and how you do assignments and who you do them for and the effort you put into that through his spirit? How about this? How about how, how does this reality of our citizenship being in heaven reflect how we spend our leisure or entertainment time? You know, I don't know about you, I just don't want to be caught on Facebook when Christ comes back. Do you? Or Pinterest, or is that still a thing, Pinterest? (laughs) Pinterest. I just don't want to be caught on these things. I want to be going full out, and I need the Lord's help because my flesh wants to be caught on Facebook. Wants to be numbed and escape in the theater. I got nothing against movies, but let's keep them in the right priority. How about this? Lastly, how does the urgency of the hour and the citizenship which we have as followers of Christ, how does it impact our pursuit of Christ in our own lives and grow in maturity through his word and in his church? The church is his bride. It is the most passionate thing in his heart that he has promised he will build. How does it impact how we serve in the church how does it impact how we pray for the church and those that God is bringing to the church to be a part of it and be his hands and feet how does that impact our participation in that knowing it's the most precious thing to the sight of God and nothing else comes close to that and our walk with our own lives See, because here's the reality. If I could sum all that up, it would be like this. The initiative that we live with for God always flows out of our expectation of God. Low expectation of God, low initiative for God. Yeah, I'm just permanent resident. Low expectation, low initiative. When I get around to it, on my time, when I only get to do things I want to do and like to do. High initiative, high expectation. Christ coming back at any moment. This hour is urgent. And I'm called to press in to know him. Initiative always flows out of expectation. Always. And we will live with the initiative to make the most of our life now in taking each opportunity to glorify our Savior. Because here's the truth. Here's the truth. Heard it this week and was stunned by this. It says, your life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Your life and mine will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. And you see, church, when we live with the recognition that this world is not our home, and we live with the expectation of Christ's return, it's never just another day. Ever. It's never just another Sunday. It is never just another small group or a bedtime with your kids or an opportunity to love your spouse. It is never just another class at school. And apathy and passivity in our pursuit of Christ is just not an option for us. 
Because nothing else we do is going to last. Genuine transformation into the image of Christ always flows out of a life lived in eager expectation of his return. Genuine transformation in this life always flows out of that by his spirit in us. Transformation is coming. Recognize the truth. This world is not your home. And from this last point for today, we must remember the promise. Christ will finish what he started. Christ will finish what he started. Look at verses, look at verse 21. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Notice the first part of 21 where he says, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Like highlight that. (laughs) That's the hope of all time, right in that moment. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And that that term transform there, the Greek term, it doesn't mean just a little facelift. I'm going to just, you know, buff out that blemish. Here you go. Uh -uh. What transform means to change the figure or appearance of a person or thing. To change the figure or appearance of a person or thing. And the lowly body, what is he changing? Transform our lowly body. This is the body that we have currently here in our time on earth. And Paul, know this, know this, got to quantify this. Paul isn't chastising or condemning our body here on earth, but he realizes that due to the effects of sin in our world, Our bodies are limited in their ability to be fully transformed into the image of Christ. In essence, we could say our temporal bodies, our lowly bodies right now are unfit for heaven. They are unfit for heaven. And then he says, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And here Paul tells us that when we go to be with Christ for eternity, we will be, ready for this? Look at the text, look at the text, eyes in the text. We will be like his glorious body, fully transformed from these lowly bodies into a glorious body that bears the full image of Jesus Christ himself. What does this mean? It means having the image of, ready for this? Here it goes, here's what's coming, loved ones. You getting excited? You getting excited? I'm getting excited, right? Have the image of splendor, majesty, magnificence, grace, dignity, purity, excellence, and will no longer bear any sin. Awesome. Awesome. You think that's worth pursuing Christ in this life now for? Yeah. Yeah. All out, loved ones. All out. And I have to say this. Don't read this wrong. This is called the doctrine of glorification. Don't read this wrong, okay? This doesn't mean we become Jesus. There's only one Jesus, okay? We're not becoming deity here. But we share in full what we only see a glimpse of now, of his perfect image. Oh, come, Lord. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Find a church that is ready for you and lives like this is true. You see, the power that he's talking about here, 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things that he talks to himself. How is this possible? How can we be transformed? Such a beautiful thing. This is Christ's power and authority over all things for all time. It's his authority and power that enables this to happen. Paul states that Christ promised to transform us into his image in part here on earth and fully in heaven. Make sure we know this. Will. Everyone say will. Will come to pass and nothing can stop it. He will finish what he started and bring it to completion. Nothing can touch it. No matter how bad this world tries to push him out, he's not going anywhere. Okay? He's not going anywhere. Philippians 1.6, you'll see it on the screen. I love how Paul says this. He says, and I am sure of this. Why? Because it's a promise. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day. The day we are just waiting expectantly for, the day of Jesus Christ. Think about what this means, that he'll bring this to completion. No more pain or sickness. All is healed. All is healed. That health struggle you're having right now, gone. Suffering, no more. All is at peace. No more suffering. The hurt you're experiencing right now, gone. No more death. That sting of the lost one that maybe you're feeling today on Mother's Day, gone. Only life. Weakness, gone. Only strength. Wickedness and evil, gone. Only holiness and righteousness. Anxiety that you're struggling with right now, the fear of man, the fear of what if, what if, what if, the sadness you're experiencing today, gone. Only joy. Only joy remains at this moment. fully transformed, fully glorified into the very image of Jesus Christ. And I want to stop and pause. I mentioned it briefly at the start. I'll say it again. Maybe some of you are here today on this Mother's Day and are struggling. Mother's Day can be a hard day. And maybe you're struggling because you've been through some of these things I just mentioned or are currently going through them. And the pain is still fresh and the pain is still real. Maybe you're watching someone you love go through it. The loss of a child, the loss of a mother, the sadness, hurt, or pain of not being able to have your own children or have the opportunity to be a mother. I want to say this. Look up here, loved ones. Hey. We're mourning with you. We're weeping with you. 
And I encourage you not to pretend just to try to put on a happy face like everything's okay, that you're not struggling. What is that? This is the family of God. We come together. We love each other. But I will, I want to encourage you with this today in light of that. In light of this truth we are reading about right now. Hey, you have reason to hope today. You have reason to hope today. You have reason in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of the hurt. You have reason because Christ will finish what he started and redeem us to be like him. You have reason for joy today. And don't let the grief bury the hope. Don't let it take your eyes off the one who will finish what he started and who loves you and gave his life for you and one day will take those tears that you are crying and that we are weeping with you and wipe them away and they will be no more. And the very one who's keeping every one of those tears in a bottle for you today, remembering every sigh, remembering every cry, You have reason to hope today. Don't take your eyes off our hope. Jesus Christ, who will finish what he started, the good work that he has started in you. You are loved. You are loved. And we will see in experience, in completion, what we can only get glimpses of now. 1 John 3, 2 to 3, you'll see it on the screen, says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when, see, we know certainty that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Last question. Are you living your life in remembrance of this promise and seeking to grow in the purity of Jesus Christ's image now? Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And some of you may be here saying, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I walk in purity and continue to progress in purity by the Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 1. He says right here, Therefore, my beloved brothers, and you notice that, that subscript Number there, beside brothers, uh, it also means brothers and sisters. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, see the compassion, see the joy, see the desire for, I love and long for my joy and my crown. Here it is. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. What does this mean? Here it is. Here it is. How do we press on and remember this promise? Number one, through perseverance in his power. Through perseverance in his power. See where Paul says, stand firm. Thus, in the Lord, in his power. We can't white knuckle this. We can't change ourselves into Christ's image. It is a complete work of grace. 
It is a complete work of grace by the power of his spirit. So how do we do this? Continuing to put into practice what God promises he will bless. And we've looked at. This is the summation point of everything in chapter 3. Quick review. Here you go. So how do we persevere in his power? Here it is. Put off the confidence in yourself, number one. Put off the confidence in yourself. That's verses 1 to 11 for you to go back and review. Put off the confidence in your own efforts to earn your salvation or greater favor with God. And put on the knowledge or the shared life of Jesus Christ as your first love whose grace is sufficient for you. And if you're here today and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is where everything starts for you, loved one. This is it. And he's like, you don't have to clean yourself up. I got you right there. I know exactly what you've done. I know exactly what you're going to do. And I gave my life for you. And I love you. It's time to come home. Stop running. Put, it, put off the confidence in yourself. Number two, persevering in his power means pursuing Christ's image and prizing his presence. Verses 12 to 14. By forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and no longer chasing after the mud pies of this world, forgetting the past sin and letting it, the guilt and the shame and the condemnation take you down from moving forward in your walk with Christ, or the past accomplishments that you had, that your pride is rearing itself. You did that, you did that, you don't need to save you, you've arrived. No. Put off the confidence, pursue Christ's image. Number three, have a mindset for maturity, verses 15 and 19, through having a desire to grow, be humble and teachable and surround yourself with people that model a fear of the Lord. And here's the challenge, be that person for others. Mentor them. People are crying out for this. And lastly, how do we persevere in his power? Put off the confidence in yourself, pursue Christ's image and prize his presence have a mindset for maturity and lastly live with faith-filled expectancy in urgency in light of Christ's return because I will promise you this loved ones you will never regret this pursuit ever you will never regret this pursuit because and here's the thing here's the thing you and I as I said we can't do it alone we can't do it alone stand firm thus in the Lord he is our empowerment And the same power that enables Christ to subject all things to himself is the same power that enabled Christ to come down to earth as fully God and fully man and and have the full wrath of God poured out on him for the forgiveness of our sins. That wrath that you and I deserve, so humbled with that this week again. This same power then raised him up from the grave three days later and conquered sin and death for all time so that in him we may become the very image and righteousness of God if we surrender our lives to him as our Lord and Savior because apart from him we can do nothing and apart from him we have no hope. Transformation's coming. Recognize the truth. This world is not your home. And live like that is true. And remember the promise. Christ will finish what he started. Amen?